When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Tackle Empire, the podcast assumes its final Off Tackle Empire form for Off Tackle Empire. As the hosts offer hot take on 14 teams after watching exactly zero of the games from beginning to end, or really much at all. But fortunately, the coaches make it easy. Fleck loses to Iowa. James Franklin biffs it away in a close one. Why would we even need to watch? We could have just assumed those things would happen. These are all reruns anyway. This week on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the official podcast of not watching the Big Ten games that you're supposed to be covering. Uh, I am... Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumpasaurus. I'm here with uh, Andrew Krzyzewski after uh, a, a momentous weekend of not really entirely watching. Yep, we're we're putting the truth to the supposition this weekend. You and I were both present uh, for my wedding. You were near. You were nearby. Not uh, there were people closer to the play than you, but you had good ball pursuit, and you know it. Just really, really satisfied with the execution on that this week. Um, all three phases, preparation, ceremony, reception. Oh, we had a good week of practice. And you have a good week of practice. You're feeling good about walkthroughs. And, you know, that that really shows on, on the game day. And, and everything was just executed, um, you know, exactly how we want to see it. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun with this film session here. I think this is going to be the kind of film that, uh, you know, guys are really excited to watch. Uh, now, during the uh, shortly after the actual ceremony, while you were still, uh, for lack of a better word, quite verklempt, I thought, well, I think Andrew needs this update. But wait a second. How important is this update? Very important. Old Dominion was winning a football game four to three on two safeties. <laughs> I, I was just like i you, you can't give me that right now it was like it was like six minutes after the ceremony no, like, like, I, I thought to myself like like how important is that would i have wanted that that particular piece of information at this time in my wedding yes <laughs> I, did, yeah, I tucked it away I, it's not like i didn't <laughs> So I'm going to crack open a Wind Fight Tribe Brewster of the Week, which comes to us this week from Ludington Bay Brewing Company over on the west side. It is Da Booty, barrel-aged ale, because the end of the season is shaping up. It's looking voluptuous, and it's looking like Wisconsin is going to have one side of it to itself. Um, although, of course, that particular part of Da Booty might be a little more um, a little more cottage cheese than anything. Um but in any case, in any case, things are rounding into form nicely as it gets uh, as as the conference race thickens up and becomes this rich 
dark uh, and rather robust flavor. Uh, and also, speaking of Dabuti, Rutgers 38, Indiana 3. Yeah, and you know, I, I had there was an interesting point. I think it might have been like Thursday or so where we have kind of the weekly obligations, duties as writers, you know, fill in the power poll, make your picks, all those sorts of things, which, which of course, all of us on the masthead do in a diligent fashion on you know, every week. Nobody misses. We, get, we have great attendance. I love to see that. But I usually do that stuff early in the week and I don't make any changes. But then last week, I couldn't remember if I had or not being frazzled, as you might expect. I see and you so, working in the picks and predictions right now. Yeah. And so I, I popped open the spreadsheet. on, Like I said, I think it was about Thursday to take a look. And apparently at some point when I made the choices the, at first, I decided that I, I liked Indiana to win this game. And I was just staring at it. I was like, well, now I know I've got wedding brain because that's insane. Indiana is in a free fall. They're not going to win again this season. What the actual hell am I thinking? Even with Indiana being at home, I mean, it, Indiana's offense was bad early in the season when they had their intended starter, theoretically healthy, but yeah, coming off a knee surgery, I get that. Well, but look, I mean, it was bad with Penix. Then it was worse when they finally had to go to the backup. And it's been absolutely inert since they went to Donovan McCauley. And in this game, they played three guys. They got they got a walk on in there for the hell of it. I mean, if you're going to to look over some things, have a moment of clarity, uh, you know, in the days before your wedding, you know, look over some things and then think to yourself, my God, what the hell am I doing with my life right now? Better <laughs> to do that about picking Indiana Rutgers. Um, so, because this was, uh, wow. Indiana committed six turnovers to Rutgers zero. They were yeah. actually even in first downs. That's fairly amazing. Yeah, right. I mean, for like on a down-to-down basis, Indiana's offense was more or less as good as Rutgers, but you give up – this is how you give up 38 points when your defense only allows 320 total yards. You turn the ball over six times. Uh, and look, it, we said a couple of weeks ago, right, that now that they're eliminated from bowl contention – what really is there left to do for this season, but give McCauley all the reps he can handle, see what you've got with him. Well, what you've got is a guy who is not ready for his level of football. He, may, he makes a ton of mistakes. That's probably going to continue these last couple of weeks. We'll see. I mean, Tuttle was able to play. Maybe they go back to him as the starter. You, it's not like he's got a long enough track record that you entirely know what you have with him. You may as well see what you've got. Um, but it's just, there's a little bit of a, a difference here in that, Rutgers similarly does not have great talent on the offensive side of the ball. They, they don't have a lot of weapons. Their quarterback play is subpar at best. Offensive line's not that good. But you still see Sean Gleason get the absolute most that they can out of that and that they've got creative play sequencing. They have a lot of different ways to get it to the few playmakers they do have. Still very run heavy. The quarterback is not usually asked to do much because they understand that he can't but they find other ways to move the ball and scratch out first downs and points. I just, man. Speaking of turnovers, as, as we speak, Illinois trails by one at halftime at Marquette with 15 turnovers. First half. You say that number to a fan of Michigan state basketball, like that's going to impress me much as um, the poet laureate. Shania Twain said, that ain't nothing, buddy. That's <laughs> Michigan State gets to that in the first half of every game until Christmas. <laughs> well, anyway, 
uh, Shaka Smart, uh, notably about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, or no, nine to 10 years ago. It's too good to come to Illinois. So, uh, oh, Daryl Morsell plays on that team now. Of course, as we're speaking, Penn State is dealing with some, you know, some really sweet butt tricks from UMass. UMass. Uh, anyway, back to the football. Um, yeah. It's, it sets up Rutgers in a situation where one more win will get them to a bowl, and it sets up Indiana in a situation where uh, their fans it, have been dropped off a cliff that was much higher than they were prepared for. Yeah, although there has been, a, I mean, from our Indiana guys, we've had a fair amount of, well, I guess we're just back to this again uh, sort of thing where it was like, all right, yeah, so last year was a dream. It is too, it was too good to believe. Uh, man, I, you know, they're bringing in good talent, though. I mean, they're, I, I still believe in Tom Allen as a, as a coach. You just have a season go off the rails sometimes. You saw this happen with with Purdue um, the last couple of years. They had a couple of key injuries, and, and shit just went off the rails for them. I mean, of course, nowhere near as bad as this is for Indiana right now. But um, Yeah, it, it could well be that next season they get guys – because, look, the quarterback isn't the only spot where they've had injury problems. Losing D.J. Matthews out of that receiving core, I think, took a big threat away on the outside. And basically, Freifogel is the only guy they have left – who plays outside the hashes that is threatening at all. So defense is just roll safety to him. And now the passing game doesn't have much besides him and Hendershot. So it could be that if they have better health with their quarterbacks next year, they're better. But the thing is their offensive line has not improved like at all. That is still a below average big 10 unit. And the other thing is when you have an up and coming promising staff, like Tom Allen's does or like Tom Allen's, you have to deal with your assistance getting poached and Kalen DeBoer was swiped by Fresno state. Nick Sheridan has been a big downgrade for them there. Um, that doesn't necessarily. And the other thing is that if, if you have a guy you put in a coordinator position like that and he doesn't work out, Tom Allen gives off a very strong, I'm not firing my guys and fuck you for asking, you know, kind of like a Ferentz or a D'Antonio where there's this loyalty, there's this, I know what I'm doing. I've done good things. Why are you questioning anything that I've chosen to do? When the results on the field really do inspire these questions. So we'll see how this goes. I mean, they've got two games left. They're two and eight. But one of those games is against a hated rival in Purdue who's having a much better season. You could still throw a bucket of water, ah, ha, ha, a bucket of water um, on their season <laughs> by beating them the last week of the year. And now, like I said, other than that, all you can hope for is some kind of incremental improvement out of McCulley and maybe, but then all of that does is gives you a three-way quarterback competition next spring. Now, of course, we've been setting up this idea that Rutgers and Maryland will, will fight for their bowl lives next week, but you know what? And we'll get to this later, but it's not completely unthinkable that Rutgers could go to Happy Valley and come out the victors. I suppose. As, as you said, we'll leave that for the preview. I think it rather unlikely. In the meantime, we'll talk about another uh, aspect of this flash of Big Ten related insight I had, you know, in the contemplations of my pending wedding, which is that I made my way to JMC to make sure I had remembered to do that as well. And in this moment of clarity, I realized Wisconsin is going to kick the ever living shit out of Northwestern. and I am not sufficiently invested in it. In fact, with Kesma Lusty now being out for the year. Braylon Allen is a must play against one of the worst run defenses in the country. And in fact, while I'm at it, why don't I go ahead and throw the team defense in there as well? 
anticipating that Northwestern's awful quarterback play will continue. I sure wish I had had some insights about, you know, sustainable long-term happiness, child rearing strategies, um, retirement objective, like any, anything that would have actually given some application to my day-to-day life. But look, if I have to settle for being, I think the only person in our league who, who ran Braylon Allen this last week, I guess that's what I'll have to take. Well, and what was interesting was that when I last saw the rest of the groomsmen for your wedding, I believe that I was spending at the very least a large part of the weekend just uh, spewing a lot of hate speech against the Northwestern Wildcats football team. Yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> sure enough. Well, because we were in we were in town, we were in Chicago so that we could so that we were near Evans, somewhere near Evanston, not really that close, but we were in Chicago uh, so we could go to Evanston to watch Michigan State play Northwestern. Now, this time I was cursing the Nern Cats because they represented the last hope for the Illini to get to Indianapolis. They needed to beat Wisconsin and they couldn't do it. They started out with a 19-play, very Northwestern drive in which they went for it on fourth and four and made it only for Andrew Marty to throw a pick into the end zone. And then that was the last time their offense did a goddamn thing. Yeah, man. Uh, again, I just uh, – there are big picture things that we miss on, like, oh, man, Tom Allen setting up a Michigan State 2010-11 kind of run. That was a miss. And then there are smaller things we miss on, like, wow, why is Pat Fitzgerald not starting Andrew Marty? Well, he started Andrew Marty the last couple of weeks, and we have learned that he is very much a relief pitcher only. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's it's also the thing where I don't think it mattered, you know, yeah, so it's a bad for that reason, why not? Weapons. But I don't I mean, think it mattered. Look, I mean, Stefan Robinson and Bryce Kurtz, Bleak Washington, um, Evan Holt, it's not like they don't have anybody. Like, those guys can play in the Big Ten. But the offensive line, I will say, has really massively underperformed this year. I mean, the way that they played last year, it looked like they had a future first rounder, like they had an instant impact true freshman left tackle in Peter Skaronsky, who has really underwhelmed. They haven't been very good across the line around him, even though they have good experience on the interior in particular. It's, yeah, I mean, this offense is no, (laughs) I don't think this offense is ever designed to be high octane you know, up-tempo, high-volume, big numbers or anything. But when the defense has been as bad as it has been this year, they need more out of that side of the ball, and they're just not getting it. On the other, on the flip side, I think the way Wisconsin is playing right now, uh, save Ohio State, I think they would beat anybody in the Big Ten that they played against right now. I have them number two in the upcoming power poll here because uh, I think they are absolutely rolling. Of course, the aforementioned Braylon Allen – 25 carries, 173 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Graham Mertz actually went uh, 18 for 23, only turned it over one time. Um, Not sure why they felt the need to uh, throw as often as they did, but uh, still, point being, not necessarily the most stout opposing defense, but uh, their offense was able to sustain drives and actually move the ball in pretty quick order in, in a few cases. Turned it over three times, though. It's funny in that when Mertz committed and certainly when he had the big game against Illinois in his debut last year, it was like, oh, man, this might be the this might be the guy. Wisconsin might be taking that next step forward, elevating their ceiling with better quarterback play. 
And then as the year went on, I was like, man, the rest of this structure is not designed to make that kind of thing happen. This higher ceiling, higher floor kind of gamble with the receivers they have, with a line that's very much bent towards run blocking. Like, <laughs> this is just not what they're designed to do. And now, you know, almost two years later, they've successfully shoved him into a Joel Stave-shaped box, and their offense is better for it. Now, again, it helps that they've shuffled their offensive line and found a better combination there. They've worked through a number of backs. So, look, losing Malusi is not great, but it's – Allen came on late enough that you would think he'll be able to carry the load the rest of the way without wearing down too much. I don't think they're going to want 30 carries for him again, but – they got a little bit out of Brady Shipper to back him up. So they're looking a lot more like their old selves. And the defense is as good, if not better, than it's ever been. This very well could be the best Wisconsin defense we've seen in this run of excellence they've had going back really a solid decade plus now. I basically think, I don't know, tell me if you feel the same, that I think of the modern level of Wisconsin defenses basically starting with like the Chris Borland era, right? Essentially, so, yeah. But I feel like in that time, they, they've always had killer linebackers. But this year, it's like all the guys they put on the field at that level of defense are incredible playmakers. They still get excellent penetration and, and uh, gap control from their linemen. And the secondary has been better than I expected. I thought that they would take a step back in that part of the, of the defense because of the, the attrition they had. But the guys they've put in there have really played very well. And I get part of that is because the pass rush is so withering that you don't have to cover very long, but yeah, it's entirely possible. This is the best defense they've had so far. And of course, this is a big deal for Wisconsin winning this game because it does very much, you know, continue to cement their role in the driver's seat here, having all of the head to heads uh, against everybody, but Minnesota who of course lost, um, Iowa kept pace with them. Purdue did not. They've got the head-to-head against Iowa. So right. things are very much coming up Wisconsin. It's going to be it, – it, it's very difficult to foresee a situation where they don't win this, the division. I believe they'd have to lose both games, and Iowa would have to win both, although that's where they have. They have Illinois and Nebraska, so that part of it perhaps is more doable. Well, but, the problem is that Iowa has eight wins. Right. And so they've hit their ceiling. And we'll, we'll go ahead and cycle right over to that then. The Florida-Rosedale game, best trophy in college football. Although this, I didn't realize this was the seventh consecutive Iowa win. They So the final score there is Minnesota 22, Iowa 27. And previewing this, this is another one where I was like, man, you know, Iowa's on this skid where their offense isn't doing anything. They're clearly, wait, 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 hold on, though. They, they don't lose to P.J. Fleck. What am I doing? And I switched my prediction when I looked at it later in the week. So Alex Padilla has is pretty quickly. I, I think it is Padilla. I got to. That's typically the way it's pronounced. I just like I said, I've, had, I've been exposed to that name both ways. I'm gonna try to remember Padilla, but I think it, it it wouldn't surprise me if it's pronounced the other way. But anyway, he's quickly started to look a little bit more like Nate Stanley, where you've got these sub fifty percent completions and really not a whole lot in the way of yardage, but good for the occasional big play, and also pretty good ball security. And it much more complimentary of Iowa's style overall. They're clearly never going to run the ball very well this year. And just like that offensive line, other than Linderbaum, is just something that hasn't been fixed, which is unusual. Usually, whatever is going on with Iowa, you can rely on their offensive line starting pretty good and getting better. But 
basically everywhere other than center. They're still looking for answers 10 games into the year. And it does feel like they're the ceiling that we thought was possible for them with Tyrone Tracy and Nico Regani and Sam Laporta as an all-conference type of tight end. Tyler Goodson coming back as, again, to me, the second best back in the conference. That just never happened. Um, what they've what they have done is though they've gotten some contributions from other guys. Charlie Jones has gone from being just a punt returner into an extremely capable both possession and big play kind of receiver. They're getting contributions from Keegan Johnson, a freshman on the outside, not something they usually do on offense. And the defense is still good enough to give Wisconsin a fight. Now they gave up a lot of yards in this game, but look, and the stats were actually fairly amazing because yeah, Wisconsin or Minnesota won the turnover battle one nothing, won time of possession forty one to nineteen, roughly outgained Iowa by about one hundred thirty yards, and lost the game. Still, uh, part of this, uh, the biggest reason for this was uh, special teams average starting field position, uh, a missed field goal, and going seven for nineteen on third down. Third downs and. The field position and efficiency thing is something that I've been tracking a bit more consciously this year, given the approach that Michigan State now takes on defense, which is this bend but don't break. You know, don't necessarily worry about yielding yards as long as you keep them big plays off the board and tighten up in the red zone. And that was really what Iowa did because, as you mentioned, so Minnesota attempted four field goals in this game. They made three of them, and the longest of those three was 31 yards. That's impossible, or at least it should be, in a game that you know is going to be tight. This game is usually very close. You end up losing by five points, and you settled for three field goals of 31 yards or shorter. That, mean, that by the way, means that you kicked all those from inside the 15-yard line. Of course, the other big problem with, their, with, with kicking is not just the circumstantial it's that, you know, they they probably didn't feel like they could attempt longer ones because uh, they couldn't get touchbacks on their kickoffs. And as a result, Charlie Jones had a total of 77 return yards on four returns, whereas Minnesota didn't return a single kick. Yeah. So when you talk about field position, starting field position difference, I mean, it, it that's literally where it starts right there is. The difference just, with your return game. Big advantage in punt differential as well. Um, yeah. It, it, doesn't PJ Fleck have something of a reputation as being focused on special teams, or am I am I making that up? If he did, I feel like he'd be another one of those guys like Ron Zook, where it's like, yeah, that's his <laughs> that's his specialty. Yeah. It's like maybe you should maybe you should think about it a little bit less. Yeah. So I go this this takes Iowa to eight wins, which means they're probably going to lose their last two games, or they managed to beat Illinois before losing the Heroes game to Nebraska. Man, I don't know which would rankle them more. But anyway, well, I mean, obviously winning one and not the other, but it just, it's, it puts them on track for their ancestral birthright uh, of the Bloomin' Onion and the Outback Bowl in Tampa. It's where they belong, and it's good to see them on the road back there. You want to know what's very interesting about this history? As we said, it's seven in a row, but mm-hmm. the last time, the only time since 98 to 2000 that Minnesota has won two in a row were in 2010 and 2011. Now, do you happen to remember how good Minnesota was in those two years? Uh, not very. Very, very, very bad. Yeah, not very. That was Taylor, that, that's Tim Brewster. 
Yeah, that that was that was the zombie Tim Brewster team, and then Jerry Kill's first team, which had a home loss to South Dakota State, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe just regular South Dakota, a Dakota. I don't think it was North. Could have been. Yeah. Well, again, just another reminder: never play a Dakota. Um. But so, uh, big picture here, a little bit. First of all, it's it's understandable in some ways because. Minnesota is a run-dependent team, and they may have lost Bucko Irving to an injury as well, and that would be their fourth running back who's gone down with a season-ending medical condition. But the thing is, as we said, they still ran the ball extremely well. Before he was gone, he contributed well, and Kai Thomas carried the load after he was gone. And running back is also a spot where you can kind of expect freshmen to step in and play right away. So I've been we've been going back and forth here on – where PJ Fleck is in his coaching tenure. I mean, in a way it's all theoretical exercise because they extended him through 2028. He's here. He's going to be here. That question was answered a few weeks ago. And now since then they've dropped a couple games and you know, that since they had that, what we flashback a couple years ago, they have what felt like an absolute breakthrough win against Penn state. Nindy Lions were ranked number four at the time. It was undefeated versus undefeated. Minnesota had a huge crowd, rocking building. They beat Franklin's Nittany Lions. Since that time, Minnesota is 11 and 10. Overall, PJ Fleck is 2 and 8 against ranked opponents, and he's now a combined 1 and 8 against Iowa and Wisconsin. Considering where they are now, that Bowling Green loss could end up being the difference between going to something like the Outback or the Citrus Bowl and ending up in Detroit or Yankee Stadium for your bowl game. And of course, they're not in the West race at all anymore. Bowling Green loss doesn't have anything to do with that. But it's just like, um, when's the big moment going to happen here? Because if that Penn State win and the Outback Bowl win after it is all you get out of P.J. Fleck, you're paying him a lot of money for not very much. Um, But, you know, he's not talking to us after all. So roll the boat. Look, I mean, we never really, I, I guess we don't entirely get what his deal is about because I'm sure there is something in there about just how hanging around in third in striking distance all the time, but never quite actually striking is, <laughs> is really its own victory. Yeah. Um, I, right. That's so like I said, we, we went back and forth. It, it it seemed like every time we grudgingly get to a point where it's like, all right, you know, PJ Flex got things moving. They lose a game that they shouldn't lose. Um, but he's there. He's going to stay there. And I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about it. Like I said, they're going to get a middle to lower tier bowl game, win or lose, depending on the opponent. And what are their prospects to improve? It's not like they're recruiting well enough to expect a sudden jump in performance. This kind of is what his program is going to be. Yep, but you know, all things considered, could be worse. I mean, he's not, uh, he doesn't give you the off field baggage of a Jerry Killer or Tracy Clays. True. Um, oh man, he's not awful like a Tim Brewster. That's why I forgot to do is check and see what could be worse. We did last week, yeah. Um, oh, they lost big, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so. Like I said, they're they're gonna go. He had because he had I think he had three regular season games plus whatever bowl they go to. He's gonna go two and two, probably win the bowl game. They got the big win over Baylor, um, 
and it's, it's gonna he's gonna there's gonna be just enough of his residue in the walls to cause problem to cause breathing problems for whoever comes after him. <laughs> just you watch. I'm telling you, man. I again, I get a lot of big picture stuff wrong. I feel so good about that prediction. And I have to thank our own white speed receiver for the insight he provided us into the waning days of the Jerry kill era. Cause otherwise I never, I mean, to the exterior, the media loves him. Um, but anyway, we're getting way sidetracked here. Let's keep this moving. Maryland 21, Michigan state 40. The first thing that stood out to me about this game was some sort of interesting post-game comments by various Maryland dudes. For, uh, for example, um, Oconquo, the tight end who had a huge day, caught a couple balls. Oh, by the way, last insight that I had was, why am I playing Carlos Carrier when there's really one week of evidence that he's going to be their top option? They have other better guys. So I ended up dropping him. Didn't make a big difference because Jahan Dotson had a pretty quiet day, but he did better than Carrier. <laughs> so anyway, comments made by a few different Maryland guys that seem to imply they really thought they should have won this game because they just had a few drives that came up empty in the red zone. Like it was fluky that they lost. I, I, I don't get that perspective. You still gave up 40 points and Michigan state gave you tur- two turnovers right back. Uh, so I, I thought that that sort of mindset was very unusual, but whatever. I mean, you, there was you, an interesting little dynamic that was happening over to your left uh, during the portion, the dinner portion of your wedding, um, which was that Michigan state had fumbled with a two score lead and Maryland was kind of moving. It was the third quarter. Maryland was moving the ball and so for you know, because everybody, everybody had just you know checked it enough to make sure that okay, there's nothing to worry about. They're up, you know, 34-14 and they're running the ball well. All right, don't have to worry about it. So I just I checked back in and I realized, hmm, states turned the ball over, and now Maryland is driving, and now there's first and goal at the MSU too. And so at some point there was a small conversation of it's like, look, nobody has to tell him if if this goes tits up. Okay, like. <laughs> Nobody has to tell him. I don't think he's going to actually ask. I, I, I think somewhere in the back of his mind, he just w- would would prefer to assume that it remained 34-14, and that was it. So, so for a second there, I was thinking, hmm, what if things get dicey here? Yeah, well. But, but then Maryland, things, Maryland. First of all, yeah, way too many other Michigan State fans at the reception. And so someone would have spilled the beans, even if I had chosen to go into blackout mode. But then also, you know, the game happened to be coming to an end during dinner and my best man sitting next to me just pulled it up on his phone. So we watched <laughs> yeah, um, naturally. A, de- a decent chunk of the fourth quarter. Um, you know, that that's kind of the privilege of being able to eat first is I am done eating. And actually, for the first time in hours, I was just kind of sitting there with nothing to do right at that second. We cut the cake right away. So we'd have to go and do that. Um, so watched a few minutes of it. And it's just felt like, if at any point I'm following a Michigan state football game this season on my phone, instead of watching live, every time I pull my phone back out and check the opponent has the ball from goal to go. Like that's just it, based on my, how that's gone for me. Michigan state's opponents have been in goal to go situations. 80% of the entire game time of the, it was this game and really a big piece of the Purdue game that I couldn't watch live. Cause Chris and I had other plans. So um, Maryland had first and goal at the MSU two, and then ended up missing a 41 yard field goal from that. I mean, yeah, there was intentional grounding in there that backed them way up. Um, <laughs> right. They then forced a three and out and turned it over on downs at the at midfield. Or yeah, at the, 20, the MSU 24. 
if this was an unusual thing for Maryland, then maybe comments like Oconquo's would be a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit easier to understand. But it's like you do this all the time. Like you, every game after the first of October, you have multiple possessions like this. And you commented, you know, because I was I, I was concerned going into this game. Like, yeah, I think we're better than Maryland overall, but we're so vulnerable to the pass, and that's what Maryland does. And you're like, yeah, but nobody turns more yards into fewer points than Mike Loxley. And I was kind of like, you know, okay, you could be right about that. You were very right about that. Um, it's it one of those things that as I keep saying it, it just, the reason I keep saying it is because it is eminently true. Very true. <laughs> very demonstrably large body of evidence. Many, many exhibits in this case. So this is a decent bounce back game for Purdue, but it's also, or for Michigan State, I'm sorry, but it's also kind of telling that yielding 350 yards through the air qualifies as a bounce back. Um suddenly injuries have become kind of a problem. It was, it was pretty clear that Jalen Naylor was not going to play, uh, but Hey, surprise now starting linebacker Quiveras Crouch is out too. Um, Jarrett Horst was out for the second consecutive week and what some rumors are indicating might be a mental health thing instead of a physical injury. So that's not clear. And that's not great because he's their best lineman and they're not very good there anyway. Uh, and you know, Kenneth Walker had just a good enough of a game that, if he absolutely goes off against Ohio State, he'll get the invite to New York to watch Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud win the Heisman. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely made one infographic where it was like uh, for a Heisman like a few years ago where there was some contenders. And then one of them was some guy from Bama with just like the, you know, the the the, the Twitter egg. Yeah, it's whoever has profile the, picture. Right. It's who, whoever has the most counting stats maybe quarterback, maybe running back. But I also saw another graphic that through this same point in the season, his numbers compare very favorably to Derrick Henry's and Mark Ingram's. Like Henry's overall counting stats were ridiculous because they played 15 games. And Walker's not going to get that because there's no way we're making a playoff or the title of a conference title game or any of that. But given that the Heisman would have been voted for before Henry got all those stats, there's like a non-zero chance that Walker's final... 12 game total ends up looking pretty similar. I still think they're basically just going to invite him and he'll get to go and sit there and they'll give it to a quarterback. Um, what I really hope is just that he has good enough numbers these last two games to end up getting the dope Walker. That would be really cool. And despite having a great run of success there, Michigan state didn't have any individual player awards other than Darquez Denard winning the Thorpe in 2013. So putting more of that kind of stuff in the trophy case, I have to assume helps you recruit at those positions. Absolutely, but you know who does recruit pretty well at those positions? Ohio State. Uh, that'd, that'd, be, that'd be Ohio State recruiting well at every position. So this game, you you could look at it and assume, oh, man, the other went back and forth a little bit. Purdue 31, OSU 59, they pulled away. No, Ohio State bombed them at the end, and then they kind of put it in cruise control, downshifted, and the Boilermakers put up some points late. But I'll tell you, Purdue was doomed as soon as they were ranked coming into this game. Yeah. I really, I think of them as the booze from Super Mario World in that they are only menacing if nobody is looking at them. Uh, there's a reason why they're, they've got such a crazy number of upsets over ranked teams and top 10 teams, top five teams as unranked. It's because they're unranked almost all the time because every time there's any kind of expectation on them, they just fall apart. And I, I mean, fall apart against Ohio State maybe is not a fair term, but nonetheless, 
Uh, I'm going to have to remember that comparison for a future power poll, though. I, have we done Mario enemies? Because nothing comes to mind that way. I don't believe so. Hey, I saw something really interesting, which is uh, 10 semifinalists for the Boletnikoff Award. And uh, one of them is Chris Olave, the third re- leading receiver on Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. And the people running these awards definitely do their jobs and actually monitor who's playing well. Uh, they're not that, they're not going off a of preseason list, watch lists or anything. Um, speaking of um, a guy who, again, depending on how the last couple of weeks go, very well could deserve some some chatter for the silver football would be Aiden O'Connell, who even in a big losing effort like this, still had an absolutely phenomenal game. I, I got to pull up this stat line because it was very good. Um, 40 for 52, 390 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. I don't think he had any lost fumbles either. Like, let me check that and make sure I want to get this accurate. Because it just, again, back-to-back weeks, absolutely phenomenal stat line. No, his his two top uh, rushers both lost fumbles. That would be Doru and Dex Anthrop, who's now involved in the run game a little bit as they, and again, you know, look for ways to generate something on the ground. But yeah, I he is not the reason they lost this game. And I mean, when you see performances like this, it's like, how could there ever have been a quarterback controversy between him and you know Jack Plummer? Like it, it just hey, well, he'd be within uh, striking distance of a four thousand yards season if he'd gotten all those snaps back. Yeah, yeah, he would. And I, I don't know. I and mean, I do remember going back to the off season. I put the stat lines side by side with you. And it's like, well, <laughs> how do you decide who? Yeah, the choice is here. Really, the only difference on paper was that Plummer is a little bit more elusive. But Plummer actually still, hasn't thrown a pick this year. Well, right, but he's also barely played. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's. I just I don't know what you do with Ohio State. I really don't. They are hitting now on all cylinders. I would love to play them earlier in the year at some point. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba is now a full-on number one caliber receiver. That's not really going to be necessary until next year when Olave and presumably Garrett Wilson leave. Oh yeah, Garrett Wilson's back off of injury. Didn't look like he missed a beat. Huge stat line, three touchdowns. Cool, great, good, grand, wonderful. Love to see it. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, at least it's only one game. Uh, gosh. Travion Henderson's over a thousand on the year. He is, and that was he. He didn't get the most carries in this game. Um, after going up big early, they got Mayan Williams back involved more. He had a pretty good game as well. Um, but yeah, Henderson is Henderson would probably have better comparable or better numbers to Kenneth Walker if they hadn't waited a couple games to get him in, and also kind of given him light loads in a couple of these blowouts. He could easily be leading the conference in rushing yards, which would, I mean, I think that would put him top two or three in the country. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of talented running backs, but uh, man, there was this one play that, uh, that I, somebody had pointed out to me on Twitter where uh, Purdue's middle linebacker, I don't remember who it was, but uh, Purdue's middle linebacker called out the play right? He pointed to the gap where Henderson was going to be running like right before the snap. And then he ran there and Henderson just ran by him. And by the time he got to the end zone, the linebacker wasn't even inside the 15. (laughs) That's, you know what that makes me think of uh, is that one mic'd up play. It's Cam Newton running the Panthers a few years ago. I don't remember who they were. Oh, oh, you're talking, it was against the Packers. 
Yeah. That's that we wrote. That's that we wrote. Uh, even watch a film, huh? That's cool. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I was, it was, it was Clay yeah. Matthews calling that out. That's that we wrote. Oh, you ever watch a film, huh? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you may as well have had it. doesn't matter that you watch film. Uh, not going to make a difference. Man, it's like, uh, <laughs> props to anybody who can get back out there and play another defensive series at full effort after something like that happens. I mean, he, he correctly identified exactly what the play was, and Henderson just ran past him. Yeah, I, it's got to be. Like I said, it's... It was clear. It was almost clear before he even took a snap. That was like, all right, we're going to be counting the days until this guy is out of here and not ruining our teams anymore. And you just hope the next guy is not as good. Um, okay. So lastly, in the Big Ten week in review, what turned out to be the game of the week, Michigan 21, Penn State 17. Before we get into the details, let it be known that the thing that came out of this game most obviously after yet another week of continuing to bitch about the refs in the Michigan State game, Jim Harbaugh's pants were visibly scorched on the sideline. Liar, liar, Jim. Oh, boy. Uh, Penn State actually came back and took a lead later in this one, which was very surprising given how um, Michigan really started off in control of this one. Uh especially defensively, they were really limiting. I mean, they, they just beat the living piss out of Clifford all game. Yeah. And State, it took them a while State. to assert their offensive identity, but they eventually did get it going. Yeah. Six points for Penn state going into the fourth quarter. They needed a little bit of a late charge to take a lead there. Um, and we're going to get into the game management thing again. So, well, before we do that, I guess what we'll say, first of all, credit where credit is due. This is the type of game in the past that Michigan would have lost, where after they have that first loss, you kind of see some signs that maybe they're not as mentally tough as you would like from a team that talented. This is a massive step towards Michigan actually being what they were supposed to be in years one through six, um, winning the big game on the road. And of course, you know, this, this still is not going to improve Harbaugh's stats that everyone brings up every time he loses a game of, oh, you know, such and such against ranked teams, such and such against team ranked teams on the road because Penn state's already floundered badly enough that they're not ranked anymore, but kind of like the Wisconsin win in Madison earlier this year, I do still think this is a very good win. And this is one that should be a real confidence builder for Michigan. They now go into a really a tune up game with Maryland and then they get to take their shot at Ohio state and everything is still in front of them. Um, well, here's something that's very unfortunate for Penn state is that Jordan Stout had an incredible game. But if not for two mishaps, they do win this game. If not yeah. for a missed kick and a mishandled snap uh, early in the game, that that those two field goals, because it was on a field goal try, right? Or was it, was it a fake field goal? Or what, what the hell did they do? I thought it was a fake field goal yeah. um, that they tried and it just didn't work. And then they had a more conventional miss on a what for Stout is a very makeable 43 yarder. And the, the just, day he had I, punting, just it sucks that he has to be the goat for this. Yeah, well, but so I'm still not gonna put it too much on him. Again, the 43 yarder, yeah, you hope that he win that he makes that, but even if he does, they still lose. And here's the thing. It's a very popular line by color guys on football broadcasts. A lot of them tend to be former linemen, you know. And they like to say stuff like kicking foot field goals gets you beat. 
No, you know what really gets you beat? Fucking up field goals. Um, yep. Leaving points on the field in a close game against a pretty evenly matched opponent uh, and, and choosing the raw, hitting the wrong button when it comes to game management and, and field position. So again, Penn State ran a fake that didn't work, could have very well been a scoop and score. And they left points on the field when they knew by that time that points are going to be really hard to come by. Because again, they still cannot run the ball. There's no reason at this point in the year to think that they're going to get that fixed. That's another team where the offensive line just has not been as good as it should be. The talent they've got back. I mean, Rasheed Walker has talked about as a potential NFL guy, Miranda in the middle is a, a, a former elite talent. Like they've got guys who really should add up to more than the sum of this, than the sum of their parts. And that's where there's a little bit of difference here between James Franklin and for example, Tom Allen at Indiana that Franklin has never hesitated to pull the trigger on underperforming assistance. That is one thing they actually give him some credit for really, because I've always kind of wished that Michigan's it's certainly, certainly D'Antonio era. And like, these guys are not doing their jobs. You need to fire them. And there's, you know, loyalty is one thing, but there's also, you need to get this job done. And it feels like Phil Troutwine is a pretty obvious scapegoat for this season's disappointments. Because I think, I, again, I can't say that I know for sure, but I feel as though they're, they've had reasonably good health on the offensive line. Their running back room has been healthier this year. The defense is still rugged. I mean, Arnold Abiquetti is the best defensive end in this conference that nobody talks about. Ellis Brooks and uh, Brandon Smith are absolutely everywhere at linebacker. They've got an excellent prospect as far as pros go in Jaquan Brisker at safety, a guy who's in the box, makes plays in coverage. Great players at all three levels of the defense. They have offensive skill guys, but they can't keep Clifford healthy and they can't run the ball. What do those two things have in common? It's the offensive line not playing well. Um, holding an opponent to 21 points, especially opponents as good as Michigan, that ought to be good enough to win at home. And it just wasn't. And they've, there's got, they have to correct something or they're not going to take any steps forward. Michigan suddenly looks like they're going to be what they're capable of being. Michigan State is back in a picture. This is not a program. This is not a place in a conference where you are able to tread water and stay where you are very long. Well, the good news is for Michigan is that there is no scenario where they beat Ohio State and that gives Michigan the championship of the division, right? Because, you know, because for that to happen, you know, Michigan would have had to, to beat Ohio State already. So it would already be wrapped up. So they don't have to, they don't have to get, there's not a situation where they can get that particular monkey's paw where like they beat Ohio state. And it's like, thanks, Michigan. (laughs) You got Michigan state to Indy (laughs) because the way that the games play out, right. Ohio state has both of the Michigan schools right in a row. Right. Right. And basically what Michigan state did was they were following uh, the Illinois game plan defensively in the first half. And then the second half, try to put it away. They followed the Illinois offensive game plan, which is, just, just keep running the ball. Just keep giving him, just keep giving him the ball. Just keep giving the guy the ball. Thirty-one carries for Hassan Haskins, one hundred fifty-six yards. Uh, Cade McNamara made some very good throws. Didn't see any JJ McCarthy, interestingly enough. No, I don't believe he registered a stat. Or if he did, he might have only carried the ball once or twice. Um, I the the other thing that had escaped my notice was that Michigan was without Blake Corum in this game. That I think is a low key important storyline um i would bet going into maryland you're not going to see him next week and then the question will be is he able to come back for ohio state and if so is he going to be full go he is he's a lightning threat that they just do not have elsewhere on that offense 
And so, well, I shouldn't say that. I guess Andrew Anthony kind of proved that he can spark a big play, didn't he? Um, but they again, he's kind of fallen back into a small role. So Blake Corum's health will be a big storyline for Michigan going forward. Um, for Penn State, I again, this has to be viewed as a pretty disappointing season. You had the most experienced, high-caliber quarterback in the conference coming back. A lot of good weapons on the offense, a defense that lost some pieces, but you've got all these, you've recruited well enough, you could feel good about where they are. And it just feels like they don't have, like they don't have the whole picture. And there's always something missing. With so all of this happening, right? Because remember last year was supposed to be an aberration, right? We all kind of yeah, wrote it off. Yeah. Well, and now here true. they are. They need to beat Michigan State to have a winning record in conference games. Well, yeah. But Three and four in Big Ten. I still don't know that I would compare last season where they had, I mean, that 0-5 start, they looked like one of the worst teams in the country at times. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's still hard to know exactly what's gone wrong here. They've got the talent to be every bit as good as Ohio State. They always, they have played the Buckeyes close. Maybe there really is just sort of a subconscious letdown when they throw their best punch at the Buckeyes, but it, they're just not quite, like they don't quite have the reach to land at square, you know? No, but by the time they got there, they already had two losses. Yeah, but I still like, I, I'm fairly sure the Illinois loss is primarily because they're looking to Ohio State yep. uh, more than anything. And so, you just want maybe that's something you know who here. doesn't lose that game though you know who doesn't lose those kinds of games is Michigan Jim Harbaugh does not lose those kinds of games at Michigan yeah and and like I said this combined with the Wisconsin win earlier this year I think regardless of how the Ohio State game turns out for Michigan this year because again I think most Michigan fans would admit to you that no we're not nearly as good as Ohio State right now but regardless of how that game turns out I think you can nonetheless be fairly confident that things have steadied themselves here. It wouldn't surprise me if as soon as their season is over, they announced they've reworked Harbaugh's contract again and kind of brought him more stable, you know, given him more stability going forward um, in a sort of a renewed vote of confidence. Uh, and I, I think there's no question that he's earned it. I mean, given where they were at the start of this year, new defensive coordinator, a lot of younger guys on the staff, moving guys around. Um, there was a chance that this year could have gone terribly. Not many people predicted that they would be in this position, um, but here they are. And I just absolutely hate it. Although I also do love uh, every win that every uh, additional loss that we hang on Jim Harbaugh's neck. So stick around, buddy. We're going to get you to a sub 400 winning percentage against Michigan state yet. Yep. See Michigan still controls their own destiny, but not quite as much as Michigan state does. Therein lies the world. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.